The year 2020 brought disruptions felt around the world. As communities shifted, behavior analysts also felt a shift in the way we practice. In this episode, Shanna and special guest Julie consider various scenarios, the pros and cons, and some unexpected skills you may learn while utilizing telehealth in this age of uncertainty and change. So grab your towel and adjust your earbuds to receive episode 11, Telehealth. Should it stay or should it go? There may be some of us out there who've worked in the world of telehealth in the pre-COVID world, but there's probably much more of us now um, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic who are practicing at least partially via telehealth. Um, so now that we've ha- now that we've gained some experience of working via telehealth, I think that it'd be good for us to take some time on today's episode to consider some of the pros and cons that we've had encountered with this mode of service delivery. And to join me for this discussion on those pros and cons of behavior therapy via telehealth is Julie Griffith. Um, and so what I'm going to do before we jump into all of those pros and cons is just have Julie tell us a little bit about herself. So welcome, Julie. Hey there. Hi. Um, yeah, okay. So a little bit about myself um, in terms of the behavior analytic field is that uh, I never really saw myself become a behavior analyst. Uh, everyone, as I grew up, knew me as wanting to work with horses. And I actually went to school to become a veterinarian for a very short amount of time. Um, when that didn't really work out, I decided I was going to change fields completely. And I was talking to one of my roommates at the time in college, and she introduced me to the idea of behavior anal- or analysis. And um, so I kind of took that and I took a class. I had no idea what it was. And when I took the class, something clicked and it became more of like a passion and it became fun for me. Whereas, you know, working with animals was really fun for me growing up and it still is very fun for me. Um, I found something that I could just very much enjoy when I was working. And so I started looking at what I could do to expand that in my undergrad. And I went into a in-home therapist summer job Um, and I worked my way up the ranks. You know, I think everyone starts as that in-home therapist or therapy level or therapist level. but I worked my way, way up in the ranks as a program manager, and I started going to, you know, pursue my master's in behavior analysis at the University of North Texas. Uh, all through that, I was conducting research, focusing on play skills uh, for young children with autism. I was doing research for staff training uh, within a preschool setting for employees, um, and I just learned all I could. And then I graduated and became a BCBA. And since then, I've spent my time as a BCBA, um, as a clinical supervisor for both in-home programs and center-based programs, but eventually I decided I was going to go out on my own and start my own business, focusing only on that in-home service piece, which has then grown for like over the past 10 years as um, being a way to serve clients and families in schools, homes, day programs within the communities, you name it, if they need me and it's within my scope. I help them. Um, So that's just a little bit about where I'm at. And then, you know, COVID hit. I think once COVID hit, we all experienced that overall, just like jostle in what services we provide and how we provide them. You know, we're here, you know, in this world of like the the world, I don't think you say post-COVID, not pre, 
we're in the midst of it, you know? We're in the, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I think too, um, that's what we want to talk about today is, you know, telehealth now, but like, kind of like you and I were talking um, just, if, you know, a few minutes before recording is just like how some people can be very leery of telehealth, telemedicine, um, you know, and all, but like we were talking about as we're reading, you know, some of these articles on it is like, this isn't anything new, you know, um, you know, I didn't really know where I wanted to tie this in, but I wanted to talk about this is like, you know, kind of the, in, in this one article where it's like the background of telemedicine, it talks about like how hieroglyphs were, you know, kind of that that's like the origins of telemedicine, you know, and then even smoke signals like to warn city nearby cities of sickness, you know, and then it kind of went into the 19th century with the telephone and the typewriter, you know, and so there was, there was those people out there who had to do that for the first time. And then, you know, we got into after, um, you know, there's the telegraph and then the television, you know, and then this one study that I'm referencing, and I guess while I'm referencing it, let me give them a little credit here. It's called Telemedicine, the Current COVID-19 Pandemic and the Future, a Narrative Review and Perspectives Moving Forward in the U.S. And it's in Family Medicine and Community Health. Um, it has a lot of really good information in that article that we'll probably be referencing off and on throughout this. But within that article, it goes on, you know, after it talks about, you know, then there's the telephone and television. And it says in 1959, the Nebraska Psychiatric Institute began using video conferencing for telepsychiatry. You know, so so even though this may seem scary or it may be like is this okay you know I think reading through this it makes me think like we're just kind of in the natural progression of things and not to say that it's telemedicine or telehealth is good for everything but that's kind of what we're going to go in today what are those pros and cons maybe just to kind of mention just a few more things before we do jump into to more of this is you know it also talks about how NASA um, played a major role in the development of telemedicine as we know it today it says the need for medical care during space travel allowed physicians to monitor the vital signs of astronauts during flights provide diagnostics and treatment in flight um, so, you know, we may be going, you know, from one of our Texas cities to another Texas city in telehealth, but they went from earth to space, you know, so, um, you know, there's that. And then also it's even says that NASA was helping provide telemedicine to rural locations in the States um, during the seventies and eighties, you know, and then it talks about in the nineties, internet changed the way we use medicine. Um, it's, you know, like we were able to you know, when the, in the medical world, you know, how they're able to share x-rays and, and all that kind of stuff um, that way. Well, I like that one of the things that I don't think too many of us had to worry about in terms of going into a more telehealth mode is that, and it even says here that there's, um, you know, roughly 75% of Americans either own a smartphone, a laptop, um, 90% of us have internet use. Um, and then also 50% own either a tablet computer or an e-reader. So in one way, shape, or form, there were, I, I can't say all of my families and clients and individuals that I work with were able to meet those needs, but they at least had a phone and we could, you know, phone it in and talk about it um, and talk about what was going on. So that was an easy step into this process of having to morph into a telehealth 
um, mode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there's, you know, like I said, we're just, it's kind of that natural progression of where we are, you know, and, and, and all, and, and to even telehealth, you know, from the standpoint of internet and video conferencing, things like that, isn't super new, you know, even, you know, it's at least goes back to the fifties, sixties, those kind of things. So kind of with that, I think that kind of does lead us to, you know, getting into that discussion, um, kind of starting off with maybe, personal experiences that we've run into, the things that we found in research and literature, things like that. But, you know, um, as we all know, around March 2020, the onset of the shutdowns, the sheltering in place started happening. So let's just start off by saying, how did you make your way to telehealth? Well, like, let me remind everybody that I am, you know, a business owner, and I have a very small company. And the fact that I'm kind of the one man show with one or two people that, you know, will help me out, but I don't have any therapists that work directly under me. I mean, do some consultation. So um, I'm very small and it was kind of like, hey, self, what, uh, what do we want to do about this situation? And when everyone shut down, I did too. Uh, it was kind of a slow dissolve at first, um, where I would stay in contact with all my clients, my families. We took it case by case and a day by day basis. Um, when all this was really uh, just accelerating, I was on spring break with my kids. You know, we weren't going anywhere, but we were in spring break. And so we we're just kind of like, oh, okay, guys, just letting you know, spring break has been extended a week because my kids don't have school. What do you want to do? And we did some phone calls. But that was kind of the gist of it. Um, we decided to, you know, with all my clients that we we're going to put things on a, you know, face-to-face sessions were going to be put on hold for a few sessions or even a week or two. Well, when we realized that a few weeks wasn't actually going to be a few weeks, um, I started looking at what the schools were doing. I'm not a technologically advanced person. Um, my kids are one of those that are going to, you know, surpass me. And all their technology knowledge, and I'll be like, okay, uh uh-huh. And then I'll be asking them questions and for help. But at this time, this all started, um, I had to figure out what a plan B was. I knew that going face-to-face with a lot of my individuals that are already immune compromised um, was not going to be an option. So I had to learn what virtual learning was. And I figured if the school can do it with thousands and thousands of children, um, why can't I? So I explored my options and the different telehealth platforms. I looked to see what our schools were using. I was talking to different friends in different districts and different schools. What are your schools using as platforms? Talking to different colleagues, what are you guys using? Um, And then I had to navigate each of those platforms. So that was like my big challenge number one um, is learning what options were available to me and then convincing um, the different individuals that I work with and the families that I work with that we can make this work. Like I had to create a plan before I even approached them saying, okay, based on the skills that we have and um, based on the targets that we're working on, I think that we can continue to make progress. And I really don't want these individuals to not see my face for months and months and months with and just get away with just absolutely anything, knowing that things can regress rather quickly. 
So after I convinced the families, then I had to find a platform for video conferencing that I could navigate and introduce it to the individuals on how they could navigate it on their end with actually without actually showing them, um, which that was fun and challenging. And uh, it was really like starting over. It's like, hey, I know you and you know me, but now I got to show you how to work all these things. So our texting got really good and our typing got really um, good. So it was just interesting. And then we had to, the third one in terms of starting telehealth, was really finding a secure platform that fits all these requirements, a platform that my um, clients can navigate, and then a platform that was secure and that could maintain all the confidential needs, um, working with our ethical guidelines and HIPAA. And um, you can't just log on to Zoom and expect it to be secure. I think we all found that out when some interesting people decided to totally like take over school Zooms. And yeah. man, it's like people got to be really bored to think that they just want to go mess with like a third grade classroom, like seriously. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, it took me a while to figure that out. Um, logging on doesn't mean that that info you share within the sessions remains with just those who log on. Uh, to me, it was a bit creepy to think about the whole big brothers watching you um, and all. And so I had to take it a step further. You have to like actually contact the companies. You have to file and sign agreements to secure that. And you have to figure out what works for you. So I urge everybody, if you haven't done that, at least check it out. Um, there were some families that were like, oh, I don't want to use that. I don't know how to use that. And so we had to come up with certain agreements um, and understanding that you are making that choice to not offer it, you know, or to not pursue it in that way. And there might be some ramifications. Have we found those yet? No. <laughs> Luckily, no one wants to charge in and, and jump in on my sessions. Um, so that was our first big challenge that we had to address. Um, and then I think I already talked about how the individuals and family members need to be taught how to navigate the telehealth platforms. Um, but there are also some other prerequisites that I think needed to be taught. And it's kind of like you have to restart your sessions. You have to rebuild rapport and maintain that instructional control from a distance. Like I have individuals, that they could just be like, I'm out. And then they log off and you're like, oh man. And you have to be contacting caregivers and being like, so the session just didn't, but it didn't happen. Or um, when technical difficulties can't um, pop up, I, I have had a interesting situations where things out of my hands um, will happen, like a transformer blows down the street and I have no internet. So now I have to be like calling people saying, well, we could do a phone conversation or we can wait to see if this resolves. Um, so we also had to teach and learn appropriate behavior. Um, I had to figure out what can I do, you know, to keep these people here, um, to, to have them want to join in on a session. I know for a fact uh, when I have certain families and caregivers, like parents and caregivers texting me saying, um, he's refusing to get on a session, you know, then I'm having to, to take another, like, kind of like the backdoor approach mm -hmm. to getting them back into their session. I have to keep things exciting when I don't have control 
over their reinforcers that they can easily access when I'm not there. Um, so I had to figure out what can I do to keep these people here? And we've discovered uh, different ways. Like I've learned online gaming um, to some extent. I don't do anything violent, but we do like fun, simple games that we can share uh, and, and just do together. Screen share and giving people remote control of my computer is always creepy, but interesting as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to reevaluate and do preference assessments. I had to reevaluate and do skills assessments to see, okay, we were working on this at this level, but now that we're more remote, I have to teach you a few things that I did not realize I was doing too much for you in face-to-face. -face. So I was also reevaluating my, my skill level. Um, some of the other things like the challenges I had to overcome, more challenges is um, I had to reevaluate my patience. Yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think everybody did. We had to, um, you know, technology isn't always the, the best. Uh, internet access isn't always the best. I found out by working remotely and having my kids. And, you know, on a personal level, having my kids at home working remotely, I had to schedule sessions around their classes because our internet couldn't handle it. Yeah. And um, so it was a little bit of trial and error. I had, you know, sessions with parents and caregivers too before I actually met with the individual to make sure that they felt that they could navigate, you know, the individual could navigate on there. And mm -hmm. so that was really interesting. Um, but it also kind of brought an understanding to, to these caregivers and these parents of what the individuals are going to have to go through as well. They had some eye-opening um, moments as well. Yeah. Session materials, that was a challenge for me as well. You know, I can go up there and make a chart. I, it was a little bit time-consuming and you had to think way in advance and give advance notice to letting people say, okay, hey, I'm gonna send you this chart that I've shown them on the computer. Now I need it printed for the next session. And then you also have to be prepared when it didn't get printed for the next session. Um, what are you gonna work on now? Because so you can't I, just, you can't be like, oh, you didn't print it? Well, let me walk you through that in, you know, like you could <laughs> if you were at their home or some other setting, you know. Yeah, because there's some individuals that, you know, the parents are also working remotely. Yeah. And they're in a meeting. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for messing up that interaction for their job. Um, I had to scale down some targets. For, for individuals, but also we had to get in a new routine so that when materials weren't available, when I was hoping they'd be available, uh, we had other things to work on. So yeah. we became, we all became really flexible and that was, and a, I mean, that was what, a pro. What a great skill to teach some of our clients who kind of may have the tendency to be inflexible, you know? Yes, yes. But also we, I think we've discussed in kind of planning this, this podcast episode, Shanna, where we all have seen a difference in behavior. Like mm -hmm. I get a snapshot. Oftentimes we've decided some of our sessions might be shorter, but I get a snapshot of this individual and they give me their undivided attention, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, for 30 minutes, an hour, hour, half, however long the session ends up being. Um, but we don't get to see those behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like we, we don't push them as much past their comfort 
zone because we know they're just going to log off or they have that capability. We don't see, mm -hmm. I have not viewed the negative behaviors quite like I would have if I were in person. And yeah. is that because the attention is different, like the level of attention? I mean, it's all a matter of what the function of the original behavior was, yeah. but it's not to say that families aren't still experiencing those behaviors. Yeah. But, and, you know, I think like, and maybe for other, you know, individuals having now telehealth and these, you know, video calls being more um, commonplace, it, you know, it could have created a great opportunity. Like, you know, I don't know how many times I've walked in and been like, well, gosh, this never happens when you're here. Whereas now with, with video calls, I mean, you can pop up. I mean, as long as a therapist has the availability, a behavior analyst has the availability, it could be, hey, can you jump on a video call really quick, you know, and, and do that, you know, to yeah. be able to show what's happening, you know, whereas that may have been something, even though it was, the technology was there, we may not have had it set up to do that. It may not have been right. what came to our mind, you know, so it may, you know, there may be other behavior analysts out there who this has been very beneficial to catch those. And I have had. I've had to have those instances where families are actually using their video on their phone more and mm -hmm. sending clips and mm -hmm. saying, what do I do? Um, I will say I've had more emergency or unexpected unscheduled appointments mm -hmm. because families are experiencing more. And it, it almost seems like it happened after like it, it all happened at the same time when everybody was really feeling that sense of this isn't changing. I'm done with this. We're four, five, six months into this and I'm bored. And so that was a whole nother piece is, okay, not only are we working on self-help skills and independent living skills and self-management was a really big one for me because I'm like, I got to keep you guys going on your routine but your parents aren't there I and mean, your caregivers aren't there, even though they're there in person, they're not there to help you through these routines now that your schedule's changed because they're working. And it's mm -hmm. a whole nother thing. I've got to keep you, you know, I got to figure out how you can stay occupied. Um, but working on um, leisure skills, mm -hmm. I had, I had so many conversations with families because they're like, well, they're, they're now doing this. And I'm like, well, because they have nonstop screen time. I hate to say it, but I hate screen time. No, I don't hate to say that. Everybody who knows me and who have done sessions knows I hate screen time. There's so many things that are good, but there's also just as many things that are bad. And somehow those bad things seem to be more reinforcing and more interesting. Um, but anyways, I had to teach individuals and had to bring up with families that you have to have more than just screens available to you. It makes me think of how, in some ways, this could be, you know, a pro to the, the telehealth would be that, you know, that was a big problem for a lot of people was, what do I do now that they're home all the time, you know, the day habs aren't open, you know, the times when schools were closed, those different kind of things, um, you know, or there's less places I can take them. It, it almost in some ways forced us as behavior analysts, you know, as, as a client, as caregivers to be like, okay, 
maybe we do need to work on these leisure skills like we've kind of always known, you know, and it it helped us to be able to do that. I mean, maybe it kind of created that motivation that maybe wasn't, wasn't there before, you know? Right. And I mean, on top of leisure skills, we have to fill time. Like we can't give these individuals as much as we would love to just lounge around all day and Mm -hmm. do whatever we please. We still have to have some type of routine and we have to hold these individuals responsible. Um, You know, you can take this time if, if we don't have the opportunity, like early on when just programs got shut down, there's no more job training available to certain individuals said, okay, let's work on this. What skills can this individual do? You know, we're an adult, we can work a vacuum. You know, so I'm working with families to say, okay, let's build in some chores. Let's build in some responsibility. Let's keep the ability to work for an extended period of time going, you know, before we take a break and resolve back to screens. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's just so many times and we all know those individuals out there that go and they wake up and they turn on a screen and the screen doesn't get put down until they happen to fall asleep later that, you know, day or the next day way into the, you know, the early morning hours. So I really pushed for, hey, families, we need to have a healthy routine and we need to be able to be responsible and we need to be able to continue to grow as a person in the society so that they're independent. Everybody was pretty much on board with that. They're like, you're right. (laughs) And you know, like a pro is, hey, I'm home a lot more than I had been. Maybe we can work on some of those daily living skills, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can even think of someone where, you know, before everything started shutting down, we were either just starting or getting close to starting teaching someone how to do their laundry. And then it was like, oh no, how are we going to do that now? And we found a way, oh, look, we can do, you know, a step-by-step instructions on how to do it. And hey, pick up your iPad and and let's walk to the laundry room, you know, and, and okay, what is your first thing saying? And we, we overcame it, you know, kind of all to say is I think it just kind of, you know, just created more time to be able to do things around the house. You know, a lot of the life skills that people need, leisure skills, daily living tasks, those kind of things. I agree. And I think, and well, I did go to a talk one time, I believe it was Peter Gerhardt, and he was talking about how he was using text and taking pictures and sending pictures through text to kind of show um, locations of individuals and building on their independent skills while navigating the community. And I'm like, you know, what's, what's wrong with doing that? Where I would work on having families you know, set up a system so that individuals are taking a picture of their completed project. So if they have chores and some families might be like, well, I've got to go back to work. And, you know, they're, and these are individuals that can be home on their own (laughs) within reason, but, um, you know, and the family's checking in or they've got people checking in on them, but uh, they would be given a task and here we are with screens. I'm just going to be on a screen all day long. Um, but they would actually families we set up token economies and ways that they can you know you complete this task and you send me proof that it's completed something like 
if the dishwasher was full and washing dishes when you left for work, mom and dad, and they sent you a picture, which I love pictures on phones because mm-hmm. they can be timestamped. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you send me a picture that the dishwasher is now empty and the dishes are on the shelf. Here's, yeah. you know, go for your screen time. Yay you. Yeah. Uh, so we would work on those skills and it's really just teaching individuals to just build on those skills. Like, you know, nobody's going to do the dishes for you if you're living in your own home or your own apartment by yourself. If you are listening for CEs, here's the first of your two key words. The first word is flexible. F-L-E-X-I-B-L-E. Flexible. We remain flexible in these uncertain times. Yeah. Well, and two, you know, like I've even had conversations with parents of even if they're going to live here with you for a while or for a very long time, let them, they're, they're now your adult child, let them be contributing members to the household. So, you know, even that part, I mean, then, you know, you mentioned about like the pictures I've seen how valuable that is. And, you know, I never really considered this, but as I've been reading through the literature, you know, how it talks about like within the definition of telehealth, it includes phone and email and text and all those kind of things. And then you know, we have what we call the permanent product and, and, you know, like those texts, like I've had where the leisure skills were, um, coloring pages, mazes, um, word searches, um, or, Hey, in order to get outside, get some fresh air, get some vitamin D and, have a purpose out there is go take pictures of nature while you're walking around outside for those individuals who can safely do that, whether it's by themselves or with a, another adult responsible adult with them. But, you know, it's like take pictures of it and send it, send it to me through text. And that's the proof that, Hey, you actually accomplished your goal and you can now earn points for those pictures you sent me. You can take it a step further and build on conversation skills about it. The things that they sent you, because what they sent you is something that was of interest to them, at Mm -hmm. least, you know, or met the needs somewhere, met the criteria. So it's kind of like, all right, let's talk about it. Well, and I think Um, that kind of gets into too, is like, how did we have to become creative more so than what more so or in a different way now that we are using telehealth, you know, because, you know, like you said, it's kind of like, oh, look, well, I started off having them send me pictures. So I had a permanent product in order to give them credit and reward or reinforce them. But oh, cool. I can also work on their communication skills, you know, and one way to communicate is verbally, but also these days is through text because as you and I both know um, is we are learning that some of our clients who are getting these job skills their supervisors or whatever title they may have are communicating to them via text and so they need to have the ability to text to to read a text understand it know how to answer it and then also be able to initiate things through text you know that is very true and then knowing like who gets the last word? You know, like at what point in time is this, at what point in time is this text complete? Because where we might teach an individual always respond. And if a person responds with like a thumbs up emoji, then it's like, how do I respond to that? Yeah. <laughs> like, thank you. Um, yeah. So it becomes very interesting on where these parameters are. Getting creative um, is also very interesting because we had to, we, you know, working on the job skills, one parent's like, 
can I just hire my son to clean my house for me? I'm like, sure. You know, if you, you have a need to, you want a housekeeper, but, and, and they need to work on these job skills and to be able to increase. Yes. Let's do that. Um, other ways we've had to get creative, you know, sadly our community settings and our community outings were like taken away from us, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like we had to make the choice to socially distance and we had to decide like, how are we going to continue on with these skills? And so it may be that we're choosing to go for walks just so we can still be in the habit of leaving the, the four walls of our house. And um, that's been very difficult for certain individuals. And also making sure that while we're not necessarily uh, focused on like how to maintain, you know, our health, our health throughout this, we also have to work on, are we still making healthy habits that are building us to be an independent individual? Like we can't always sit and eat cheeseburgers all day, although we do have the right to yes. sit and eat donuts. Yes. Um, but we also have to kind of help teach those like that may need some help in making better choices or how they can make the better choice for themselves and do a lot of problem solving. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, kind of along that lines, whether it's about our topic of telehealth here or not is, yes, you have the right to eat cheeseburgers all day, but maybe it's just informing them of, hey, here's your choice. You can do this. Here's the pros and cons to that. And then letting them, them decide or, you know, work with them along with their caregiver, those kind of things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, thinking of like some of the challenges I overcame, which actually was kind of a benefit in some way where, you know, I was working on counting, you know, money with some, you know, with some of my clients of, you know, how much is this amount or um, give me X number of dollars with, with fake money where it was like, oh, cool. Now I don't have to print it out. I can just share my screen. So I'm saving a little paper and ink here, you know. Um, And we're also saving on gas. Exactly. You like, you like I will travel house to house to house or setting to setting. And there's a lot of time to where we lose in the car, but mm-hmm. also, you know, like our, my gas bill this year has, or the past year has been like minimal. Exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah. But it also allows us to schedule back to back to back where I'm not saying I'm getting more time in with my clients, but I am able to organize time a little bit better. So me on a personal and my professional yeah. like side of things, I can be more efficient. In terms well, of and I timing. think that's a good point as far as a pro for both the client, their family, and for us as behavior analyst is we're able to see more people because, mm-hmm. you know, think about pre-COVID, how much time someone like, like you said, you and I travel from client to client, whether it's their home, their day have a community setting, whatever. So all that time driving is just downtime that's lost as far as helping a client. And, and, And so now we're able to see more clients, which can be beneficial for us, but also it's beneficial to the clients because I know that there's a long waiting list of clients waiting for behavior services. And, yes. and if we're, if we're cutting out the drive time, we can be reaching more of those people that are sitting on waiting list, waiting for services. Exactly. And they even mentioned that in a lot of the literature. Oh, yeah. 
to where, you know, doctors who implement telehealth, they're able to fill in those time gaps when there's an appointment, but also it's allowing to reach to those individuals. Because like they said, you know, it says what, 90% of Americans use the internet. Uh So that means 90% of the Americans have access to the internet and you can reach those rural areas that may be just, you know, allergies or a cold or sniffle. And, you know, I even had a conversation earlier with someone how, you know, a lot of doctor's offices, you know, based on what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing is they won't see you until you have been tested for COVID if you're ill and get a negative test because they don't want that in their office. And that allows for them to be able to stay open. Yeah. And, you know, like thinking of, you know, I'm trying to think in this, I think it was the same article of like a lot of the other pros, like we're able to reach people more rule, you know, and like, I, I know, um, you know, there's actually, like, I'm thinking of there's someone that, you know, was on a waiting list that I would not have been able to, to make happen if we didn't do it via telehealth because of the distance, you know, whether it is like, well, all of my clients are going in the opposite direction. So I can't go that way. And then to just the distance from where I am right now, but it's actually been, um, I feel like, you know, a, a pretty beneficial service, like the, the, the client and caregiver have got, have, according to them and according to the data have benefited from the service but just thinking they wouldn't have received it otherwise. I mean, maybe there's another right. analyst out there, but it's because it's a more remote area that I don't know how many behavior analysts are, are in that area of any, but they're able to receive it because of telehealth. And, and if you look through the literature, there's tons of those um, references where it's like they're, you know, telemedicine in the, in the medical world is able to reach a whole lot more people who wouldn't have been able to get help for certain services because of that reason. Exactly. And it's, you know, also nice to keep the consistency as well. Um, We've all been in a situation where we walk up to a door. For those of us who provide in-home services, we walk up to a door, knock on it, and they're all like sniffling and sneezing. They're like, oh yeah, I tested positive for the flu, but you can come on in (laughs) and still provide services to my daughter. And I'll be like, see ya. Um, But it allows for us to continue services and stay consistent because you know, as well as I do, the flu sticks around for a while and sometimes makes its way, makes its rounds in a household and it could pause services for a week or two. But with telehealth options, as long as that individual is feeling um, well enough to have services or receive services, they can get them. I do uh, push for my clients to really think about how are you feeling? Because if you are under the weather, you're giving so much energy to pairing me with feeling poor that we're really not making any progress on this. So we do evaluate things that way. I do appreciate it when they show up on time, but when they've got a fever, I feel like I feel bad for them. But it even works the other way around too, because I was able to to not cancel my work for a whole day because I had a child homesick to where they, you know, it was, because they had a fever, they couldn't be at school, but they mm-hmm. were okay to take care of themselves, themselves while I was on yeah. a call, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So I think that we're able to have the potential to reduce the number of sessions that have to be canceled or rescheduled. And, you right. know, sometimes even rescheduling is such a challenge because it's like, well, I'm 
booked up everywhere else. So it just, it just makes it to where clients can be seen more consistently. I mean, I think that there's also a number of different areas like, you know, should we be out and about and doing more face-to-face sessions? And there's an individual that's no joke. We've, we've done the travel before where it's 50 miles away from everybody else. Mm -hmm. And um, perhaps we make a little mix where we do some face-to-face and make that time. But Mm -hmm. there's so many places out there that you can still schedule um, a private area. Like you can go to a local library and, you know, pre-COVID, but they're starting to open up now. You can go to a local library and reserve a room and you can host a session, you know, and you can do it in a secure in a secure way and still make it to all the other sessions that are in that one area and still meet the person that's 50 miles away. So I think it's, I think the possibilities have opened up for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of how well are we doing it? Now I do like back referring to that um, one article you mentioned earlier, the telemedicine, the current COVID-19 pandemic and the future. Um, I like one area where it really talks about how the Office of the United Nations uh, High Commissioner for Human Rights lists six key aspects of the right to health, and those aspects being accessibility, availability, participation, accountability, acceptability, and good quality. And as BCBAs, we have a very, very extensive set of guidelines that we follow in order to provide that quality. But I think that we have to keep all these aspects in mind and making sure that if you're doing telehealth, are you making progress with an individual? Could they be making better progress with another provider, uh, another situation, another setting? Like there are some times that we have to just say, hey, you know, I'm not certain I'm the right person for this anymore because of we've hit a plateau or we need to change things up. Um, but we always have to keep the client's interest, yeah. um, best interest in mind and seeing what would help them the most. And if that means, you know, bringing someone else in or, or changing things up enough, we have to be comfortable with ourselves to be able to say that as well. And that's a hard thing to say. It is. Yeah. But I think we also need to remember that it doesn't mean that we're less of a BCBA. It just means we're a good responsible BCBA saying, you know what, I'm not the best person for, for this individual. And we're not going to be for everybody, you know, Um, and, and all, but yeah, but I think, you know, looking at those, um, those key aspects, you know, like accessibility, availability, um, you know, those definitely, I mean, telehealth can really benefit there because it makes us more accessible, makes us more available. Because like we said, you know, we can we can see more people who are further away from us. Um, We can be available when we have a sick child at home or whenever our client has somebody at their house who, you know, the client's fully capable of meeting with me, but because somebody in their household's sick, I can't come into their house. Well, you know, it makes us still be able to be available to each other to meet, you know? So I, you know, I think it's that balance between, you know, which one, 
which one is best for the situation? You know, is it telehealth for this individual or this circumstance or is it in person? Right. Considering those things. Um, we've talked a lot about like, there's a lot of people who are uh, in rural areas, um, you know, or, or whatever the case may be that where telehealth in one form or fashion can be beneficial. You know, there's a lot of articles out there that talk about physician shortages, but I I didn't go and look up the number of how many physicians are in the U.S., Um, but I would dare to say it's probably more than what there are behavior analysts because, you know, I looked at it, I think at the beginning of April of this year, there was almost 46,000 behavior analysts. So that, I don't know, that number may sound big, but like, if you think about it spread across the United States in all the areas that right. there are people who need our services or could benefit from our services. That's, that's less than 10,000 a state. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and also you just think of it to where in order for us to be able to reach all the people who, who might need us, telehealth you know, that's definitely a a, a pro right there is to having telehealth to be able to make us more accessible. And I wonder if that's going to turn into something that is more marketable or that we need to market and make available and make known. And, you know, where like when we, when we market ourselves or like provides quality services to individuals with autism, individuals, you know, with this, you know, and, and, and then you say also available telehealth. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and again, I think we keep referencing this article, but I mean, to me, there was so much good information in this mm-hmm. article is like, it, it's talk. And again, this is about the medical profession, but it does say that so many consumers are unaware that their that telehealth services are available um, or, right. una- or believe that their health system doesn't offer it. So I think it is good that if it's going to be something that we do, that, that we make sure to let people know about it. And, and in our world, it is, I mean, our present clients know that, but do the people who we're receiving referrals to know that that's an option? I think it'll be a growing option that people are just going to ask as one of their, you know, mm-hmm. top questions when they, they call them looking for services um, yeah. when you do get a referral. Yeah. So, you know, I think we've talked about like, um, we may have other instances where we've had to, we might want to bring up of how we've had to be creative um, with telehealth. Um, you know, I think I think we've touched on some of the pros and cons. I definitely want us to get into that a little bit more. Um, But I think maybe right before we do that, can you think of where, have you had any situations where you've been, you and the client, caregiver, whoever have decided, you know what, telehealth is not an option for this individual for X, Y, and Z reasons, you know, Um, or what are things we need to consider one is we need to consider that and we need to assess that, you know, so whether, I don't know, you know, whether you want to talk about like what things you've done to assess the situation and then, um, you know, have you had individuals where y'all come to the determination it's not appropriate? Well, there's some individuals that, you know, where I had one in particular where he was only community-based. And so once that happened, you know, or once, you know, the pandemic hit our area and we all decided, hey, we need to take a break because it wasn't necessarily considered safe for us to be out in the community. And since then, we just kind of have dissolved services, put them on hold, 
um, and, and check on from time to time. Other individuals that can't navigate the computer on their own, um, you know, or a tablet on their own in, in terms of using it for telehealth. Um, have I seen these individuals navigate a game like none other? Uh-huh, sure have. Um, but being able to maintain the focus um, like that we would have been able to do or we would have needed to do in a face-to-face -face session, you know, those are some where we have to have a, a serious discussion with the caregiver and with the parents and saying, you know, listen, I don't know if it is a good situation. I don't know if you would see the value of telehealth doing a, a session directly with the individual. And in that case, that's when I push more for that family support piece or work on some parent training, some caregiver training on how we can better support the individual in, um, in, in this time. Uh, that's where we start teaching, you know, not really teaching token economies because when I'm in home, I always encourage families to participate and I give them all those um, wonderful recommendations of how, you know, how can we implement this when I'm not here. Um, so that's where I would push for that family support piece and having parents say, listen, I'm having trouble with the situation. And I'll be like, okay, well, let's evaluate what the behavior is. What's the situation? What's maintaining it? And then let's see how we can modify the environment or modify how you're reacting to it. And so we've kind of gone that route for a lot of those clients so that things they're so they're not left high and dry you know we're we're kind of bound by our guidelines to say well if you can't provide services you have to at least offer some opportunities or another um another path for these individuals and then they can make that decision on if they want to continue with a service with another provider or another way on their own, but at least you've provided that information. Yeah. And, you know, I think of, you know, again, this is, it, it could have looked as a con, like a con in the sense of, you know, I was thinking of when we first kind of came into this shutdown and all, and I was like, oh my goodness, how I'm going to see, how am I going to be able to continue seeing so-and-so? There's no way they can ever sit in front of a computer by themselves, let alone even know how to get into it. But it actually was beneficial in the sense of where a parent wasn't previously involved they wanted to continue sessions and so they had to become involved. And so it's benefited them because like we always say, or I always say, at least I would dare to say a lot of other people say this too, is, you know, if I come in for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours a week, I can, I can do good things during that time. Some of it's going to generalize, but how much more if the parent or caregiver or some other person is involved and they're right. carrying on this, these same things all throughout the week because they've learned it through those sessions, you know, and, right. and there's some literature that says like, there are actually a lot of people who feel more comfortable online. I guess there's just something that kind of takes away that intimidation, but I actually had the opposite effect with a client to where, 
Um, that person did not want to get on a video call with me, but the mom kept meeting with me and there was actually greater gains from that because it was like, Hey, go try this out. And so my 30 minute hour call was then multiplied to all the interactions, yes. all a lot of the interactions that the mom had with the individual throughout the week, you know, so there's just some of the, the cons can actually turn into um, pros that outweigh those cons. Um, but then, you know, I also had the, the clients who just under circumstances, we just had to put by, you know, like you said, you give them the options and then it's ultimately up to them to where services were just on hold for a number of months. Yeah. Indefinite amount of time. Exactly. Thanks for sticking with us. This is the second of your two keywords. The second word is skills. S-K-I-L-L-S. What skills have you developed during this time? I don't know, you know, where we want to go with this as far as, you know, just kind of throwing out different pros and cons. Um, I think we could totally make it a game. You know, we have a lot of different situations here and kind of get your answer and my answer. And I mean, there's no win or lose. It's like, what do you think is a pro and what do you think is a con? Well, and, and kind of like this whole episode is supposed to be, it's not, we're not telling you go out and you have to do telehealth because it's the best thing ever, or, oh my gosh, you know, run away from it. It's, here's some of our experiences. Here's what we found in literature, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, just to kind of, whether it's adding to your toolbox, whether it's helping you make a decision on it, whether it's just kind of guiding you, that's all, that's all we're doing here is just kind of, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, you know, our, our, our pros and cons we've run into and we've read about. All right. So how about I go through our list of possibilities and we'll decide if they're pros or cons. Okay. Um, okay. So let's talk about, um, how about this one? Telehealth as a possible option with occasional in-person check-ins. Do you consider it a pro or a con? Yes, no, I, you know, yeah, I mean, I, you I know, agree, it depends. Yeah, it does depend. And I think it's a case by case, kind of like everything with, with behavior analysis and maybe life is, you know? Um, yeah, because <clears throat> again, those ones where you're like, gosh, I can't drive an hour and a half one way every week, mm-hmm. but, yeah. you know, I can, I can see you most weeks over video call and then once a month, once a quarter, whatever we seem is appropriate is good because it gives me that bigger picture view being right. in, in their house or in their community settings. And I agree. I think it depends. I think there's some individuals that would always benefit from that face-to-face piece more so. Uh, but then on a business standpoint, it would also become beneficial to do telehealth with those bigger picture check-ins from time to time. So let's try another one. Reluctance for some clients to be on a video call. Is this a pro or a con? Yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned the one earlier where the client wouldn't get on and it, and it, at first it was like, gosh, man, I really want to help this individual. The mom really wants my help. And so at first it kind of seemed like it was a con, but then whenever uh, the mom and I almost were making more progress that way, we're like, oh, this is actually working to our benefit. But I do think there, there's also going to be the opposite, you know, where 
it's going to keep us from being able to help individuals as much as we would be able to help them if we were in person with them. Right. I find more often than not, it turned out to be a con for me, but what I've taken that con to be is one, working with that family support piece, helping out the family a little bit more, but also understanding why is this person reluctant to be on a video call? And, um, and it's very interesting when you start diving in and you sometimes, for me, I would do like a blend of video conferencing and phone calls from time to time and really trying to build up the confidence of this individual. And also, also my, one of my favorite things to do throughout sessions is to show people and all my clients that I make mistakes too. Like I'm not perfect. Well, these individuals have these professionals that are working with them for the majority of their life. And, you know, starting out as little children, these individuals want to be a perfect, you know, want to be perfect at what they do because they see these adults do what they, you know, do it well and easily. I show people that I make mistakes all the time. I am human and I am far from perfect. And it really helps with that confidence boost and understanding and kind of really getting on the same level and saying, you're good at things that I'm not, and I'm good at things that you're not. So let's help each other out. I, I've never, I, I am an almost expert at many movie release dates <laughs> because of those individuals out there that can tell me those very important dates which have turned out to be very important dates at times. Um, okay, so pro or con? Let's see. Technology is becoming the way of life these days. I guess I'm going to go with my my consistent answer of it's a pro and con, you know? Um, I think that, I, I don't know. I mean, is that a losing battle to try to get people to use technology less, you know? And, and, and so do we need, part of me says we need to kind of go with the flow, you know, but at the same time with balance, within reason, you know, that kind of thing. I, I just feel like so many people, like someone like me, I had to learn techno technological things and I'm still learning and we'll continue to um, at it at an older age than what most people did because it was just the the life that they were born into. And and so I think it's it's great in that sense of it it's it's right on their level wavelength. That's not exactly the word I'm looking for. So in that regard, I mean I think it's good. What you know, what people aren't FaceTiming these days and 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 all that. So like how is it so different to jump on a video call for your therapy? Right. Um, and, and then you think of two when we're working with individuals, some who have social skills deficits or, you know, maybe they're a little shy or anxious, um, those kind of things. For some, the video calls can be a little less intimidating, you know. So I think in, in that regard, it's good. And maybe it's a great opportunity to show, because um, to, to me, you know, I think of the, of where we're where technology can get a negative rap is, you know, from the people who just sit in front of there just watching video after video after video. Whereas, you know, at least in, in, in our sessions, they're having to engage their mind in a different and hopefully better way. So, so in one way we can use technology in a, in a more positive way. I agree. And I think, I, I do feel like that 
it's so important to be around real life people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think more just, you know, when I go out and I people watch pre-pandemic or during the pandemic, I feel like we're, we're going into this more age of technology. We're able to open up and access different areas of the world that we weren't able to, but so easily we learn to hide behind our screen and behind our words and behind our posts that we're not able to understand what happens behind the scene. You know, and when you're actually in the scene and face-to-face, I feel like there's so much more that you're, the vibes that you're feeling and, you know, seeing the person's body language in its entirety instead of from the, you know, neckline and up. Yeah. Um, You know, it's so important. And to see, like, what are they comfortable in? Given a situation, they don't have to be within a three-by-three-foot area to be on the screen what would they be doing? So I feel like technology is becoming the way of life these days as as a last resort in some areas, you know, where it is so necessary to teach these individuals how to live in the real world. But now our real world is more microchips and screens and blue lights and yeah. It's One hard. thing I think that can be good with that is making sure for the clients that it's appropriate is, hey, who, you know, setting the goal of getting out, you know, for those who can safely get out into the community to be able to, whether it's that individual or the individual and their caregiver to, to create opportunities of, of that being the goal of, hey, I want you to try to get out and do one, you know, one thing outside, whether that is go walk down your street, you know, down the sidewalk, down your street, or, or whether it is going to, uh, hey, whenever your mom goes to the grocery store, how about you tag along with her or right. trying to go to a social event? I mean, whatever is appropriate for that individual. And two, one thing that I think may be more beneficial than you doing it is, is if you're going in person and you're saying, let's meet at the grocery store or let's meet at whatever public place is the caregiver and the client doing it because you're there. And then as soon as you stop doing that with them, they stop doing that. Whereas if you put it as an assignment on telehealth, is it going to become more of a lifestyle change because they're having to do it without you? Just one way of kind of turning that around of how, you know, and and I think that's kind of the way we're having to think of is when we run into a con with telehealth, how can we maybe make it a pro, you know, in some way? Um, not that we're going to be able to do that with all of them, but for those we can, maybe. As you say, I think every single one of these that I throw out and, you know, just say, hey, is it a pro, is it a con? It has an it depends option. I don't yeah. feel there is no cookie cut. We've all learned. We have all learned. And if you haven't learned as a behavior analyst that, there's more than one way to do something, then you need to learn that because we have all learned that everybody and every new client you come in contact with and their family, it is an individualized treatment plan. There is no one way to treat something. It's it's not a cold, you know, or a virus that you give an, or no, not necessarily a virus. It's not an infection that you give an antibiotic to and it goes away. This is an individualized plan that we're always working, we're always, you know, evolving and changing to meet the needs 
of the individual to succeed in the community. Mm -hmm. And right now the community is very technologically, you know, based, but. Well, and, you know, kind of thinking about that again, and referencing that same article is, you know, it talks about how, um, who's to say we're not going to have another pandemic, let's be prepared, let's be prepared for it. Or let's, you know, even, even if it isn't using it a hundred, you know, for a hundred percent of our clients, a hundred percent of the time between now and who knows when, you know, if, when another pandemic will happen, but just at least being prepared for it, you know, and, and being able to, to keep things going for the client, because like you've said, it comes down to, we're here to serve the client. We're here to help improve their lives. And um, we need to be able to do that, whether it's in person and we can safely do that, or if we need to do that, you know, via telehealth, you know, we need to be prepared to, to be able to do that as well. And, and one thing I want to point out too is, I mean, I think that there's a lot of behavior analysts and others who may be listening to this, who are center-based, who are like, okay, come on people, you know, and, and, and again, I mean, I think we're speaking from our perspective, but there's even, there's way more limitations for those who are center-based, who are clinic-based, um, whether it's insurance coverage, you know, like I talked with someone where, whether it's some or all insurance companies, they're only going to provide coverage um, and reimbursement for the behavior analyst. So there's, there's so many more challenges for them, you know. That's not necessarily due to pandemic. That's, we're getting real political there. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, and you and I both know those challenges Mm because we both worked in that type of setting. Mm -hmm. And two, you know, kind of like you said, you have a small company, there's, there's you and, and a, a small group of others, you know, to whereas, again, a, cine, a center or clinic based, those kind of things, there's so many more individuals to coordinate with, not just the client and their caregiver, there's right. RBTs, there's, you know, what, whatever titles that they may have working with individuals. So there's so much more we're not touching on. And, and I think that that I wanted, I'm glad that I, that came to my mind to, to, to say that, um, you know, there's a lot of cons probably that others could bring up, you know, that you and I don't have that we're not faced with right now. Um, You know what? I know we just have just a few minutes left, but one I wanted to bring up too is what do you think pros and cons wise where I know in the work that I do, there's times where I'm like calling up another BCBA going, Hey, here's a situation I have what can I do? Because we're here in Texas, I'll use our Texas example of, hey, you know, I know I'm over here in Fort Worth, but hey, you on the east side of the Metroplex, you know, an hour to an hour and a half away, I could really use you watching one of my clients and me interact and tell me what you think. Now we have telehealth as an option and or team meetings for like someone like us who we're, we're, contractors and you know we don't have like a physical office space we all come to what is your thoughts as far as pros and cons with that I like the idea of being able to bring more people in and it's not just that but like we work within we work with school districts too and so we're able to instead of completely cancel a morning of sessions we're able to fit in being a part of our meetings now because we can phone it in, we can do telehealth, we can video conference. A lot of them are video conference now, but it it opens up more possibilities to be able to fill in those time gaps instead of canceling two sessions because you'd be on the other end of, like you said, the Metroplex, Mm -hmm. you know, or you you need to be 
on campus and you know, you may sit there and give your two or three, you know, sentences and suggestions and sit there for the rest of the yard. So it's one of those things you can jump in and you can participate in between sessions and still hop on and not miss a whole bunch of other stuff. Plus, you know, bringing in other people. I can't tell you how many team meetings have been canceled because a key person either has to be at another meeting or they're ill. Mm -hmm. or their kids are sick, you know, and they're at home. Now they can participate by just jumping on and, you know, addressing all the other needs out, outside of that meeting time. Yeah. I think that's, those are really good points too, because it makes me think of, um, you know, a meeting where I had with a mom, but because telehealth is like such, such the thing these days, you know, in, in the, COVID-19 world that we're living in is dad at work was able to jump on. Whereas before then, we probably just would have been like, oh, well, you and I can meet and we can fill dad in, or we're delaying a meeting trying to find a time where all three of us are available, or hey, how about we meet at 8 p.m. tonight when everybody's finally home, you know? And right. so we we don't have to do that. We can do a lunch hour meeting, you know, because we can do it over telehealth. You know, I've had where... Um, I've been able to have another BCBA pop into a session of mine because all it is is just a few clicks away as opposed to a drive across the world to get to me and the client or kind of the effect that it would have on having another person physically there could throw off the behavior of the client, whereas kind of popping you up on the phone may be kind of less intrusive, you know, so I think that there's those benefits. Um, yeah, so we have talked about many pros and cons. And at the same time, we've probably left out many more pros and cons. Oh, yeah. um, so this may be one of those where um, this is part one of a multiple part episode, because I know that we've also in some of our talks and planning for this, you know, we've even talked about what are the pros and cons hearing firsthand from a parent, caregiver and the client. So um, right. I think for today, I think we've covered a lot of, of information, hopefully, people have found beneficial and helpful, whether it's reassuring them of what they're already doing um, or giving them new ideas and things to consider. So before we end, I don't know, is there any last thoughts that you have, Julie? Well, I think, you know, something to consider is that we can, you know, just in closing, you know, we can continue on with this telehealth piece as long as we are able to do so in a productive way for the individual. But, you know, we're already, as BCBAs, many of us are already the client part of it, where we're doing a lot of our online courses to get the information that we need, or we're doing CEs through podcasts mm -hmm. and, you know, online so that we can continue without taking up a huge disruption into our schedule of going to a large conference and, you know, potentially losing opportunities to uh, help out our individuals through sessions, but we can do these things at our own leisure, which is really nice as well. So we are kind of that side of things where we're the um, consumer, mm -hmm. you know, receiving from those, but at our own leisurely time. So, okay, I have to say, I through our pros and cons checklist and with the title of our episode or our podcast that says, you know, telehealth, should it stay or should it go? And I think you and I could both say 
it depends, yeah. you know, and it will always depend on that individual's need. But that's going to yeah. be that's going to be like my answer for the day. It depends. Yeah. Well, and I think kind of like, as we've mentioned before, and as we went into this talk, it's not to try to convince somebody one way or another. It's just to say, here's what's out in the literature. Here's the experiences we've run into. Here's our things, you know, to consider. And, and so it's just take this information as you're assessing each individual client and, and and making whatever is the best decision for y'all as a team, you know? Correct. All right. So I think that ends our talk for today. But again, I would just dare to say be on the lookout for at least an episode two, kind of along the same lines or similar lines, where we'll continue discussing telehealth in some form or fashion. So with that, um, I guess we're going to sign off for today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this adventure of the Atypical Behavior Analyst. Check out the website, atypicalba.com, for more episodes, references, and to purchase CEUs. To stay up to date, like and follow us on social media. Just search Atypical Behavior Analyst. If you like the show, please rate and leave us a review. And if you want to support the show but don't need CEUs, you can help by clicking the Buy Us a Coffee link in the show notes. So until next time, listeners, grab your towel, keep exploring, and we'll see you in the fringes.